Our scripture reading today is from Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. All right. Well, it is good to see you all this morning. If we have not met, my name is Russ Ramsey, and I'm the pastor here at Christ Presbyterian Church's Cool Springs location. And uh, we've been in this sermon series in the book of Acts, and today it's there's been a lot of uh, it's been such a joy to watch both Melanie Rayner and Melanie Beasley talk about the things that are going on in the life of this church and the ways that they are leading uh, this congregation so well um, in, in intentional opportunities to connect. Um, I am the person to see if you're a dude and you want to go on this hike. Uh, we leave Friday at 7 from Murfreesboro. You, you don't want to miss it. It's fun. Um, but I, I, just in hearing that, I've just been thinking a lot, especially with today being our third anniversary as a church. The first Sunday in October in 2018 is when we kicked this thing off with our first worship service. And I remember one of the things I distinctly remember is even in the weeks leading up to that, when, we, when there was a core of us meeting at the upper school atrium on, on Christ Presbyterian Academy's campus, there's this phenomenon of all these people in a room together and nobody really knows each other, you know? We, we know that we want to do this thing out in Cool Springs, but I didn't know you, you didn't know me, you didn't know each other if you were in that room. Maybe there were a couple of connections, but we were all just kind of getting started. And it's so beautiful to see the way that um, the kids in this church, the way that families with children have come and found a place to be, and the way that the kids uh, have embraced this church as their own, uh, which is awesome. You can, you can kind of program that out of kids if you're not careful, right? You can provide so much programming for them that they have almost a parallel experience to what the adults are having at church. And I feel like that's not been the case for kids here. Um, and part of that is because you all have been so um, so eager to let there be that element of, of, of chaos and activity and noise uh, that is part of having children in the room. Um, and it brings me a lot of joy as a pastor to see that be the case. Um, what I want to talk about today, uh, the name of the sermon is Life Together, and it's, it's really kind of, it's a four-point sermon, um, and it's basically four ways that we see a young church growing. And so what does it look like for us to live 
as we've been called to live as a community of faith bound together. So many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with uh, Malcolm Gladwell's uh, 10,000 hours rule. Um, if you're not, he wrote a book a while back called uh, Outliers, and one of the premises in the book is it takes 10,000 hours to master something. So if you, if you want to master something, you have to, it takes 10,000 hours, which I reverse, did the math in reverse, that's, that's about a five-year full-time job, um, is, is what that amounts to. Uh, just a quick show of hands, I won't ask you to follow up, but this is just a, raise your hand if you think of yourself as somebody who has mastered something. It's, this is not a trick question. Like, okay, okay. Probably more hands should be up uh, at this point, um, but you know it's it, that's a thing, right? Is that is that it's it's part of the joy of being alive is that we get to learn things and we get to understand and and kind of get our minds around how certain things work. Like for example, <clears throat> I don't think of myself by any stretch of the imagination as one of the great living preachers, but I will tell you that I have mastered how to create a sermon outline in such a way that I always know where I am. Like what I bring up here with me, this little document right here, I can tell you by looking at it how long my sermon's going to be within 90 seconds. And it's all just based on font size, page length, what column I'm in. And it's just fun for me because it means that now, when I was first starting off as a preacher, I didn't know what I was doing. My notes felt like somebody else might have even made them. I didn't know my way around them. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know how to thread a narrative through and all that. And, and over time, I've been preaching every week for uh, a while. And, and there's a certain familiarity. And, and part of the point I'm trying to make is for whatever it is for you. Um, maybe, maybe you just have mastery over Excel, uh, or you have mastery over um, a particular sport, or, or whatever. Whatever that is, that there's this principle that mastery leads to joy, that the better you are at something, the more you enjoy doing it, right? So, so I, I'm seeing Anna Grace nod her head. I'm just going to call her out a little bit on this. Anna Grace is a fantastic fiddle and mandolin player. Um, and there, was, there had to have been a time when it was an exercise in frustration. Um, but she's really, really good at it. And now there's just a lot of joy and it comes through when you see her play because of that principle that mastery leads to joy. Well, here's, here's the biblical idea that I want to unpack. And that is for the Christian community, we're learning how to do this. We're learning how to be a church. And there's an element to this where we're, we're in that 10,000 hours process, right? So we're three years in. Uh, it's five-year full-time. We only meet once a week. I'm just kidding. We, we're, we're a church all the time. But we're, we're learning how to do this. But it's after the 10,000 hours where the fun really starts, it's after the, the mastering of something. As a writer, as an artist, a musician, craftsman, whatever it is, you know that the, the deeper you get into something, you know that you'll never exhaust it. You start to realize, oh, I'll never be done with mastering this craft. I'll never be done with becoming an expert in this thing. In fact, the more I learn, the more I, the more I see about what I don't know, and the more the more practice I want to employ in this. And so what I'm, what I'm wanting to call us to as a church this morning 
is to be people who, when we think about our, our engagement with the church, when we think about being a part of a community, that we consider ourselves to be practitioners of this community, that we're practicing the art of being in a community with one another. And that's really what this passage is about this morning, is, is you know, we live in a culture, I think, that, that, that kind of has this flawed premise that we can arrive and we can say, okay, I've, I've, I don't have anything else to learn here. We may never say it, but we can, we can feel it. Um, and it can make for a pretty defeating and exhausting life um, because we can get to this place where we think, you know, whether it's a simple task, whether it's a craft, whether it's parenting, whether it's victory over a particular area of sin in your life, you can get to a place where you can say, how long have I been at this and why shouldn't, why am I not by now in control? Why do I still struggle? What, what kind of a fraud am I? You know, anybody relate to that feeling? The beauty of the body of Christ is, you know how long it takes to master being a part of the body of Christ? Every single day that we've been given until Christ returns or calls us home. And that's so freeing. So I want to highlight four marks of a growing, practicing church that we see in this passage, and I'll give them all to you right now and then unpack them quickly. Now, the first is we see that it's a, it's a community of people who are growing in, these are four areas of growth, growing in a careful study of scripture, growing in biblical community, growing in worship, and growing in outreach. So those are the four, growing in a careful study of scripture, in biblical community, in worship, and in outreach. So let's start with that first one. Growing in a careful study of Scripture. We see in in verse uh, 42 of the passage we just read that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That they were people gathered around the content of the gospel and of Scriptures. Uh, Verse 43 tells us that these apostles performed a lot of miracles. Um, And and, and so have you ever wondered about that? Why were the apostles performing miracles, and why am I not performing miracles? What's, what's changed? What's different? Well, the function of miracles in the New Testament, uh, which we can read about in 2 Corinthians 12.12, 12, uh, also in Acts 2.22, is that God gave this ability, he gave these miracles in order to authenticate the apostles' message. So it was showing that God was behind the testimony, of the apostles. And, and it's also what, what Peter says about the miracles that Jesus performed, is that it was in order to authenticate that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. And the significance of that for us, it means this, and this is so important, especially in our time. It means that the people, the, the church, the gathered church, were not just pooling their spiritual ideas and saying, we're going to build our community around whatever you think is cool spiritually and whatever I think is cool spiritually and we're just going to form this new religion. But instead what they were doing was they were giving their attention only to those who were set apart by God as the trusted witnesses of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. So let's take a 
brief biblical literacy lesson um, in how all this goes down. So earlier in Acts 1, the apostles choose a twelfth uh, because Judas is out, right? And so they're choosing a replacement for Judas. And when they do that, they list qualifications. So if they're going to be 12 apostles, there are qualifications that this 12th apostle must meet. And what the qualifications were, and we see this in Acts 1, 21 and 22, is that this has to be somebody who followed Jesus from the time that he was baptized in the Jordan River until his ascension. So that's the qualification. Similar criteria were used when the New Testament writings were assembled and we got the New Testament, is that the writers had to be men who, who were either apostles or who bore the apostolic blessing of signs and had seen and spoken with the risen Christ. So this would be like your apostle Paul. Today, what that means for us is it means that the apostles' teaching is the New Testament written down? That's why we're people of the book. It's because we believe that God's revelation to his people came through apostles whose message was authenticated by miracles that God performed through them. And part of the qualifications for them to be apostles was they had to have been witnesses either to the incarnate Christ or the resurrected Christ. And so that's the scope of their message. And so the early church saw the authority that God gave the apostles, and so they studied their teaching carefully. And one of the things we learn about their teaching, are we still okay in the classroom here, by the way? This is, just, this is nerdy stuff, but it's important. It's important to understand that the church was not just shooting from the hip and saying, these are ideas that we liked, and these are things Jesus said that were inspiring. No, 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 no. They, they, they had this, this authoritative source, and they studied this teaching carefully. And one of the things that we see anytime you see this teaching coming from apostles is you see that it is dripping with the Old Testament. It's saturated in Old Testament, even as it is in the process of becoming the New Testament. And so we notice then what they did not devote themselves to as a community of faith. They did not devote themselves to politics. They did not devote themselves to this perpetual Pentecost experience of sensationalism either, but they devoted themselves to the careful study of God's word and the message of the apostles. And this is important for us to understand because what it means is often we seek God's blessing in our lives by asking him, give me a mountaintop experience. You know, shake me, every fiber of my being, make, it, make me come alive to this, to this feeling of your presence here with me so that I might feel like you're close to me. But what we're seeing in scripture is there is no substitute for intimacy with God that's beyond prayerful familiarity with his word. So he can give us mountaintop experiences. I can sit over there like I did this morning and hear uh, Melanie Rayner and then Melanie Beasley and, and feel like, why am I fighting back tears all of a sudden? It's because I, f because I see how the Lord has been blessing our church and working in our church. 
But under all of it has been this foundation of careful study of Scripture together. And so that's the first thing we see, careful study of Scripture. The second is growing in biblical community. Acts 2, 45, uh, 44 and 45 says they lived sharing everything. Now, let's not overthink this. They lived sharing everything. What's mine is yours. You need a leaf blower, I have a leaf blower. You can come borrow it, right? They lived sharing everything. We know that it's not communal living that's being referred to here. Um, Because in verse 46, we see that when they met together, they met in different people's homes. So people had homes. It wasn't like a compound, right? Um, And so it's not like an emphasis on communism, for example, but it's on, the emphasis really is on generosity, and you see it all the way through, is that these are people who looked at one another and said, what's mine is yours, what's, what's yours is mine. If I have a need and you can meet it, I need to let you meet that need. If you have a need and I can meet it, I need to help meet that need. And then we all have to live in a posture of humility here. And so we find this group of people who understood Jesus' teaching when he said, life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. They understood when Jesus said, we don't live to be served, but to serve, that our lives are, are, are not our own. And so for them to grow in this kind of fellowship, it meant a couple of things, because this was a culture where there were very, where there were very clear lines, often between the haves and the have-nots, between the, those who were culturally and socially uh, provided for in ways that others had no chance of being, of being in that same place. And so what it meant is, is uh, kind of three things, is that those with plenty needed to give generously. It also meant that those with need needed to receive help. And the third is that everybody in that continuum needed humility about both. They needed humility about generosity, and they needed humility about need, because it's hard to have true fellowship if we don't know each other as we really are. And so they grew in biblical community. They also grew in worship. The church, I love this. This is, scripture is so helpful. (laughs) I mean, that's understatement of the day, I guess, but... The church grew in their worship of God. Verse 46 says that they met for worship daily. And what it seems from the passage is that there were both formal elements to their worship and then there were casual elements to their worship and that both of them were holy and both of them were good. And so their formal worship consisted of things like, as Eric read, going to the temple court to meet, sharing in the Lord's table together, being devoted in prayer together. So these are kind of like formal things that they would gather around and practice formally. But then they had this casual worship, too, that consisted of meeting in homes and eating, quote, together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Glad and sincere hearts, enjoying their time together. It sounds a lot like a small group, doesn't it? That that's what's happening here. That they prayed and they shared, and they sang, and they ate, and they enjoyed each other. 
And they enjoyed each other. I like this idea of, of that they enjoyed with glad and sincere hearts. It's this picture to me of, if you're in a connect group, you've experienced this. If you're not, we'd love to get you into one. Um, but when you spend time in a small group, you start to know people, right? And you start to know kind of like, what annoys you? What makes you laugh? What makes you really loosen up? What makes you get all uncomfortable? Um, what are the things that you're willing to show up for? What are the things that we, when we do this, you're not there? Um, what, you know, what are those things? And we start, to, we start to be able to understand each other and read each other and anticipate each other's pain to the point that I'll get texts from people in my small group who just know me well enough to text me and tell me that they love me if they suspect that I might be struggling. And they're always right, right? They're always right when they do that. But that's what you see here. You sense that their worship is this mix of, of deep reverence and hearty laughter. That they have this reverence without pretense and they have authenticity without flippancy. And they grew in that kind of worship together. And then finally, they grew in outreach. The final mark of the Spirit-filled church here is outreach. Verse 47 says, The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One thing that should jump out at us is that we should notice that while careful study of Scripture, fellowship and community, and worship were listed as the activities of the people, this one, growing in outreach, is the activity of God that the Lord added to their number daily. This is God's work. And so let me just throw this out there. Are you in a place in your life right now, and I don't know, but are you in a place in your life right now where you are spiritually adrift or maybe asking a new set of questions or maybe you don't know what you really believe, but you, but you feel that there's something in you that wants to come alive. That you, you feel like you don't want to stay where you are, but that, that the idea of a benevolent God, a good God who knows you and loves you, is causing you to lean in in ways that maybe you never have before. If that's you, understand this. God is the one doing that. Think of it as the hound of heaven is on your heels, if that's maybe how it feels like. Or maybe it's the still small voice of the Holy Spirit comforting and calling. But that may be you. And if that's you, what I'm telling you is what you're experiencing is the pursuit of God. And we see it here in the book of Acts. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, <clears throat> how do we suppose he adds these new converts to the church? Well, from everything that we've seen in Acts so far, we know it is through the disciples bearing witness to Christ as he told them to do. 
So the Spirit is working through their testimony, a testimony which we've seen as biblical, as Christ-centered, as challenging. And what it's doing is it's drawing people into faith, but at the same time, it's not just drawing them into faith. It's drawing them into faith and also into a community of faith. And those two are always joined together because God is good. And so they're joined together, this faith and the community that comes with it. To come to faith is to come into the body of Christ. It's to commune with Christ. And it's also then to commune with his followers, which we're going to do in just a little bit around the Lord's table. And so that's what's happening here. The spirit-filled church is a church that is in motion. It's not dormant. It's engaged in the world in which we live. And it is doing what we're called to do, and that is to proclaim the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ, trusting that the Holy Spirit will be the power behind our witness. But all of us are called to this. All of us who bear faith in Christ are called to engage our world with the mercy and the grace and the salvation of Jesus, if this is our story. Bear with me. So, in conclusion, back to the 10,000 hours idea. How long does it take to do all this? It takes the time it takes to live. The church is growing in the study of scripture, love for people, worship, witness to the world. What should drive that? Should it be the hope of mastering these things? Well, how long does it take to master the Christian life? It takes the time that it takes to live? How long will it take for you to master the content and the nuance of this sacred book, the Old and New Testament, God's word given to us in such a way that you know it, that you really know God's revelation of himself as the all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-living God that he is? It will take every single day that you have until he returns or calls you home, at which time all will be revealed. How long will it take you to love, I mean to really love well, your brothers and sisters in this community of faith and to do that with a perfect, selfless love? It will take you every single day that you have until he returns or calls you home when your sanctification will be complete and you will sin no more. How long will it take for you to master worship? And I mean the kind where you're on your face before the full holiness of the creator of everything as his beloved son or his beloved daughter struck by the awe of his beauty and majesty and holiness and grace. It'll take you every single day that you have until he returns or calls you home at which time you will at last be in the throne room of God, beholding his fullness in all his glory, bowing to the praise of his name and beside yourself with wonder. How long will it take this church to tell the world about the grace of God in Christ, fulfilling the great commission to preach the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation on the earth, with our words, with our engagement, with our co-workers, with the ways that we outfit our children's ministry rooms. How long will it take? It'll take every single day that we've been given 
until he returns or calls us home, at which point we will join with the saints from every age as that great cloud of witnesses that Hebrews talks about, gathered in the fullness of time for eternity to declare the praise of the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. Beloved, by God's grace, the time that it takes to live the Christian life well is every single day that you've been given. And so every single day is a gift. May we waste none of them because he never calls you to cross off relating to him or to his bride as something that you have completed. Instead, he moves us all to stand in awe of him. The depth of our union with Christ, it it just can't be plumbed to this side of glory. So take a breath. You've got the rest of your life for this, however long that will be, and that's how long it will take to live the life that God has appointed for you. May they be many, and may he use this church to become this kind of community in the place where he has put us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for the opportunity that we've had to walk through the last three years meeting in this space, setting it up and tearing it down every week and the babies that have been born, the miscarriages that have happened, the marriages that have struggled, the weddings that have taken place, the sorrows and the losses, the additions and the gains, the the, those seasons when things seem to be humming right along and then those seasons when the world just kind of got turned upside down. All these things, Lord, one of the gifts that you have given this church through all of that is you have knit this community together more and more with every passing week and month and year. And we ask that you would continue to do that. Give us great humility as we consider the ways that you might be calling us to love our neighbors. Lord, give us an appetite for studying your word, for being people who are committed to understanding your message to us found in the canon of scripture and that we would prize and cherish that above all other voices. Uh, Lord, that, that you would give us a humility in the way we interact with one another, serving one another well, and taking a long view of this season that we're in as Christ Pres Cool Springs, understanding that even the work you're doing in children, as Melanie Beasley talked about, that, that Lord, some of the work you may do in the lives of kids who come into the children's ministry here may lead to that stirring and saving faith in their parents. And Lord, we, we ask you for this, and uh, we thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.